0: If anybody doesn't know, Jordan Drake is part of DP Review TV. He is the video guy,
1: The yeah. Shoot it, cut it. Expert behind the talk sometimes camera
0: on that one, yeah. Also formerly of Camera Store TV and has been on the podcast a million times. I don't know why I'm explaining this. Again. I'm back,
1: everyone. You missed me.
0: We're going to talk about all our favorite stuff though of 2019, starting with computers, which is your favorite category.
1: I need a new computer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so J- Jordan's my. The problem is, I like cameras, I like photography, but I only pay a lot of attention to the things I'm probably going to buy. Whereas Jordan and uh, you know his partner in crime, Chris Nichols, on their channel will review everything that comes out. Right. So I'm, I'm glad you're here to tell me about the stuff I haven't tried. Well,
1: much. especially in the case of yeah, like cameras and things like that. But this is where you've got an edge because I don't get computers to right. test as a yeah, yeah. first category.
0: Well, so I'll probably do a lot of the talking on the computer one. Surprise, surprise, there are going to be Apple products. But I've said a few times, this was the most amazing year for professional stuff from Apple. They really, They didn't just throw the pro name around quite a bit, which, you know, that is so much a marketing thing. But they also backed it up with some real professional products. The responsible answer of the best computer, in my opinion, of 2019, should be, the 16-inch MacBook Pro.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm lusting. After Absolutely. Right now. Yeah. I mean,
0: as you should be, as what everybody should. It's what yeah. I like. That's what I should. Yeah, be we
1: work on the road constantly, for sure. Way more important
0: to me. Laptops way outsell desktops. Like this is the machine people buy. It's either this or smaller, more portable, cheaper ones. Yeah. Hopefully Apple gets on top of updating those soon. New keyboards and stuff. One reason I'm not going to choose it is I have a feeling. The really, really amazing one is still just around the corner. Like, I I really positively reviewed the 16-inch. I really liked it. like
1: your benchmark stuff was great.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think if you're needing to upgrade, Mm -hmm. this is a perfect time to go buy a new one. You should just go out right now and get it. I just happen to not really need it. And if you can wait, if you're in a position like me where you're like, you know what, my current computer's working, I think we're going to hit some really amazing jumps forward right. in the near future. The biggest impact of ARM processors is going to be on laptops. We're going to get that insane battery life. Performance will probably be great. Like That may not be next year. That's probably not 2020, but it's around the corner enough that I, I kind of want to keep my powder dry in terms of choosing the laptop. So I, I feel like we need to give it to the Mac Pro for 2019. Okay. Like, it's been it's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> and we had mo- really given up. You know, We had assumed there were the only professional Apple computer would be this. Well, the iMac Pro, but before that, we didn't even know there was going to be an iMac Pro, and we thought they were just walking away. And yep. I think they felt like walking away. I've still built up this narrative that um, I've been, other people try to convince me is not true, but still in my mind, I think that Apple was really stepping back from the pro world. Part of the reason that they killed Aperture, or not even killed, they let Aperture slowly die.
1: Yeah.
0: I, w- I think. Apple wishes they were still developing a professional photography app. Like that is something they should want to have. And it's gone, unfortunately, now. And I bet they wish they still had it. But um, now we've seen them obviously completely recommit. I've talked about the Mac Pro a lot. We all know why it's amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, on the hardware and the software side as well. But And you said this is really the year that they've reinvested in the Pro. And the big difference is they've made a lot of Pro announcements in the past. That everybody was – all the pros that I know were pretty ambivalent towards where this year everyone is excited. It yeah. seems the people yeah. who are doing the heavy lifting, the people that their marketing is targeted at are actually going to be the people who are excited about this stuff. Yeah,
0: everything moved in the right direction. And I feel like it's laid groundwork for something better in the future. I'm one of the people that's optimistic that – not that the price will drop exactly but that design elements – will translate for the rest of us and this is part of a new generation of professional Apple products. The the amazing example I didn't notice until I watched some of the teardowns is that there's no there's no cables inside a Mac Pro. It's yeah. just it's just all these clever slots that and little pins that connect and just g- like genius design and that's why as an empty box like if you buy it at base level it's so much more expensive. There's tons of design work that other PC vendors Don't put into a default Windows
1: machine. Yeah, you have to subsidize all that R&D before you even start plugging stuff into it.
0: I think it was totally worth it, and I do bet that that will somehow translate to the rest of us. Same as uh, XDR displays, that technology is going to eventually show up in our $1,500 – 27 inches that we all want to be sitting on our desks. Um, so Yeah, yep, the really iMac Pro
1: Pro, when that thing comes out, we'll hopefully have something similar behind it. What were
0: you editing on in 2019?
1: Uh, I'm still on a 2016 MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. and I feel like I've been doing pretty good with 4K until it's H.265 4K or oh, really? the new 6K stuff that I'm pulling off the S1H. And then I'm starting to, for the first time, really feel like... I need more horsepower and uh, the new battery stuff is really exciting to me because I always wind up on the airline with no power in the seat. And that's when I get mo- most right, of the right. stuff that you see happens because there was a power input on the airplane I was on. So I was able to finish editing a project.
0: I, yeah, I think that, um, you, I mean, you kind of came in at just the wrong time. It was right when the redesign happened. Um, and I'm newer than you, but I guess quite a bit actually, cause I'm 2018 and I'm actually, I mean, I'm frustrated sometimes with 4K performance. As soon as I have a few layers going of of anything, meaning either adjustments or uh, titles or or anything, as soon as they start stacking, it can noticeably start to slow down. And I definitely can't edit
1: at uh, the quality that I'm going to publish at. I
0: have to shrink down the quality.
1: So. Well, one of the reasons I went with Final Cut is I love the idea of building a project as I go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm actually like it, polishing it as I go where I find now more and more I'm sequencing everything And then at the very end, I'll go back, do titles, um, grading, like I did with old Final Cut or like I did with Premiere, just because, yeah, it'll start bogging things down too much for me to make clean edits. This really
0: mattered to me because I've been trying to finish up. By the way, here's a little teaser for what I'll be talking about quite a bit in the near future is this course that uh, we went and worked on earlier in the year. It's been, I mean, like six months of editing. It was, you know, a few months of shooting. And so much editing. There's almost three hours of of final product. Compelling which is, content. Yeah. And that is when you start to notice it slow down. Because also everything is almost finished before the end. But I had to do so many passes of watching hours of footage where I'm like checking for mistakes over and over. Yeah. Where all the layers are there. Everything's basically done. But I need to keep going through it again and again and like refining it. And that's when I really felt the slowdown and that's
1: when you need yeah. that seamless playback too because yeah. you'll miss those flash frames and stuff like that if it starts chopping oh wait there.
0: although okay wait, I should correct that. I'm also complaining about something kind of stupid
1: i'm <laughs> I'm running that project off of a spinning disk
0: because it's too big for an SSD like the whole thing is about four terabytes right now, and I need to edit it. I need to boot mobile. I can't have like a big fast yeah. rate on a, on a desk. So, anyway, that's actually, that project's probably slowing down because
1: of the hard drive. So, okay, so the computer's not the issue.
0: <laughs> no, sometimes it's the issue. <laughs> Disregard that just, last five. No, it is, it is just not on this project. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, next up is a tech accessory or gadget. Maybe that's a more concise word for uh, this category. You go. Well, what, come on, you're you writing something down over there. You, I was looking through my phone to find something. You, I saw you looking around the room. You're like looking <laughs> at my stuff. You're like, Hard do drives? I have any yes. of that? A Sono. Speaker? I've got a Samsung. those little tiny Samsung drives are nice. I think those came out two years ago. Lightning USB cable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, this you is, go. This is a. Fun, I feel like my. Uh, I don't know if this category even makes sense because I picked such obvious things. The first thing I wrote down had to be AirPods Pro. I think they did such a great job and I was was joking that, yeah, okay, of course, Tyler, you design these categories so that every Apple product shows up in one of the slots. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, like AirPods have been just something I use so much since they've been released. Um, I've mentioned that AirPods Pro don't fit great in my ears. Uh, There is a bit of discomfort and I actually find myself using the AirPods 2 more as my day-to-day. Right. The Pro are still amazing if they fit for you buy them, especially if you fly. Like if you travel, this is the big thing. I've talked about it. But yeah, if you're in noisy environments and you need to get work done, that noise canceling is enough to really monitor audio. So that's been a game changer.
1: Well, in the third party, companies should be giving us a pile of different ends, right? Is that something they can do? I haven't actually stuck a pro in my ear yet, so I have no idea.
0: So they, they totally can. Unfortunately for me, the part that hurts is... Uh it isn't the end, but it's the part of the pod, <laughs> part of the hard plastic, not the squishy part oh, that okay. goes in your ear. Yeah. The hard plastic touches a further out part of my ear, and that's where the pressure builds up and, and hurts. So but you gotta just file that thing down. <laughs> I've been thinking about it. Maybe if I like if I get a piercing in just the right place, like scalpel away a little bit of uh and then I, I also wrote down iPhone eleven. Pro, yeah. which are, you know, could be the iPhone 11. Uh, you, you, I just didn't have a category, but felt like we have to talk about how good of a camera.
1: Yeah. And I, I've certainly, and you even mentioned it on your podcast, had some issues with the, um, some of the stuff that it's doing in the video, but for photo, I just loved what came out of that. Every decision they made seemed like a really smart one yeah. where with the Pixel 4, there's some really clever stuff they did, but some of it, didn't really seem as photography centric. It seemed a little more spec centric. Um, yeah, I, I really think I have, everything Apple did increases the usability.
0: I have a Pixel Four, and I wanted to make a video about it, but I'm like, I don't know w- how to make that interesting mm-hmm. because the <laughs> iPhone 11 story is so com- so compelling. You know? Yeah. Um, I, th- and it's, th- it's not that the Pixel isn't a great camera. Again, like they they do a good job, but I've just. I've not felt like I needed to stray to any other brands. I mean, looking at what Samsung did, like their ultra wide
1: is not as good. Right. Yeah. And the ultra wide, I think is the most exciting thing coming. Like I had a lot of fun, even for video. I had a lot of fun shooting. with It's, it. It. it's for sure the most fun thing,
0: but it's even like there, there's also so many other things. Like we are forgetting that fusion yeah. or deep fusion happened. Cause you don't see it. Like the, the branding yeah. only happened at the announcement. Everybody's going to forget. It's even a word by next year. But when you see what it's doing, sometimes like, wow, this really took another big step forward. And it's to the point when I was driving over here, I was like, I don't even know what I'm hoping for in, in iPhone 12. Like the things I want in the next iPhone are pretty incremental. Yeah. I was saying, you know, I'd like the wide angle to get better. Which
1: yeah. It could. Just you know. a little bigger chip or a faster yeah, exactly. lens would be really nice. A nicer yeah.
0: sensor in there, whatever. But it's becoming small stuff you know
1: yeah well and a lot of the stuff that i would really love to see them do i assume it's just software copyright battles at this point you know in terms of the smart stuff google's doing and the smart stuff apple's doing but both of them i've just been kind of thrilled with what can happen because chris is using the pixel 4 and then oh he is yeah he's using that right now um waiting for a clear night to shoot astro we're going on week three now um but it is coming and yeah it does some amazing stuff but either way you're well served where for so long as an apple guy i was like god i really want a pixel yeah for photography
0: yeah it, it there was a lot of reviewers i mean the verge being the loudest of them i think the verge was setting that tone of the pixel 2 is the best camera and mm-hmm. you know iPhones a close runner up and i don't think that was true right um i think that was You know, they started that in Pixel Two, Pixel Three. Now the Pixel Four, I think everybody has jumped on board. That, like, yeah, Apple's leading the way again. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. But if you're shooting charts, man, that Pixel. (laughs) (laughs) Next up is audio. This is, I mean,
0: I love audio gear. There's somebody was tweeting the other day. Oh, yeah, the official YouTube channel was like, if you didn't run the channel that you do, what category? Like what would you talk about? Yep. What would your YouTube channel be about? My response was, I'd love to do something about high-end audio gear that I have no excuse to use, like really cool instruments, nice mics, nice preamps. Like just be
1: Curtis Judd of the podcast yeah,
0: world, honestly. Like I, I love audio gear. It's so much cooler than all the other gear. But uh, the only thing I need it for is, <laughs> is re- recording videos in this podcast. Uh, but. Uh, I do think it, it was, it's been great for audio the last few years. Yeah. Like th- things have been moving quickly and, and there's just been such. And it was actually, so
1: overdue. Like it was, you know, deck, literally two decades <laughs> of audio, not moving. much. Well, at all. I mean, so I think it started really moving quickly when I got
0: into it. All. I mean, everything came together at the right time because zoom did the H four and the or H four N, I guess. I don't know what the very first one was, but, um, Around when the 5D came out, right? Like, yeah. we we got all the stuff we needed all at once, miraculously. But now the options are just so much more professional at similar price points. Yeah. So if you spend the few hundred dollars kind of thing, you're still getting
1: really high-end stuff. Yeah. And I think, like, you see the companies like Deity coming out and Rode moving a little further down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I haven't seen, like, you know, a replacement for the NTG3 or anything like that is still... Uh, been a long time, but I mean, that's where the majority of people are. And that entry level is now so good. You know, there's very little reason for it. Like there's an MKH 50, my favorite mic in the world, but less and less, I'm like, I have to go rent right. the MKH 50 for this gig. Well, and I still, I, one of the things, I, the two that I, mics that I have to choose
0: are the one you're talking to right now is the S mic two. Okay. Um, and then there's also the S mic two S, which that's my favorite one of the year, which is the short. Yeah. Deity one? Yeah. So yeah, these are both by Deity, mm-hmm. and they are mid-priced. They're not s- cheap mics by any means, Hun- still hundreds of dollars, Yeah, but competing with much more expensive mics and performing very well, very rugged builds, very great sound quality, as you can tell by Jordan's... Lovely boom, voice yeah, here. Well,
1: this was really based on the 416, which was the Sennheiser, which was a great mic. So the new one, I haven't had a chance to use it yet. Is it more of a like a hyper or so
0: it's it's very they tried to make it as similar as possible so that it effectively match but okay. um it's meant for both more indoor use right and also just meant to be smaller nice. a lot i think of a lot of it was just to be smaller and as similar as possible and it's not the same it's not you can hear the difference and it's not as crisp mm-hmm. or good um, but it's so small and sounds so good <laughs> that i'm like this is this is an amazing microphone. Well, so if you yeah. wanted
1: to do like a two-person dial, like if we didn't both have great mics in front of our face, right. I would much rather have a short shoddy than, yeah. um, you know, trying to boom I, I, something like and that.
0: This, and a lot of people, this is No one can see what I'm pointing he's at. He's
1: pointing at a long shotgun mic, <laughs> uh,
0: the S-mic 2. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's just super versatile, especially because a lot of people are doing YouTube indoors and interviews indoors, you know. I, I would very strongly recommend it for anybody. It's such a good mic. And um and then also the uh, MixPre 2.
1: The updates to them, yeah. Yeah,
0: which uh, I haven't got to use them. I was just telling you, Jordan, that I was supposed to have a MixPre 6 Mark II to be recording this on right now. Is that why you called run. me over? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was going to be part of it. But anyway, but FedEx kind of screwed up the delivery, so I couldn't do it today. But they I mean, Sound Devices has just been so good with their Mix Pre series and just everything they've been doing. Uh, you know, it's relatively more expensive. It's not in that, you know, cheaper world that we were just talking about. But now, you know, if you spend a thousand bucks, you have the best. Yeah. You, you never need to second guess it again.
1: Well, and the Mix Pre 3, I think, was everyone's first taste at a really great recorder, preamp, with analog limiters, too. Mm -hmm. So now having that, and then the safety net of 32-bit audio, which is kind of like your raw for the audio world, a lot more latitude. Um, Yeah, I think it's just more and more as people get one or two channels of that, they're going to start throwing a lot more money at audio. Everyone was surprised how well the mix pre's did.
0: Well, I was talking about that mix assistant feature, which Mm -hmm. is, it's actually what we should be using right now. haven't installed it online. It's a paid upgrade, and I, I will... But it's where, in this environment, we're talking in an echoey right room right now, it does the fading up and down of each other's voices to cut out that re- reverb. Which, you guys aren't hearing it in the
1: podcast because I edit it out manually, but having it do it for me could be really, really useful. Just a, any kind of time saver like that, I mean, with audio. I mean, how much time do you spend on audio in your... YouTube videos Wait, and stuff, right? Actually, yeah. a lot less than the podcast
0: because people forgive it in videos so much right. more.
1: They're like, yeah, I can see that fire truck back there. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. Yeah.
0: Do you have any on-camera mics that you would want to choose? Like, what do you what do you put on a, as a shotgun if you're mounting something? Well, I uh, was music? actually
1: going to talk about that. Now, I don't have one yet, but I've spent a little bit of time with the new Rode NTG, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is just such a smart decision because – it's very similar to what, again, going back to Deity's doing all the smart stuff right now, but they had multiple inputs for their on-camera mic, so XLRs. And I
0: thought that was a response, really, to the Deity V mic, V mic D two D three Pro. I'm so bad with D three Pro. Yeah, D three right? Pro, uh, D two so Pro. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> all of the names blend together, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, so I thought that was a really innovative design, and yep. I for sure, Rode is res- this is a response to it. But I'll say that. I have both and I still do use my Rode VideoMic Pro Plus over. Really? Yeah, okay. I definitely do. First of all, I think it sounds better. Depending on your preference, it's bassier. Okay. Like bass comes through the Rode a lot more. Mm-hmm. But I also had issues with the Deity where one time the wind screen, there's nothing attaching it because it's just a regular shotgun mic. Nothing there's no grip and I, did I completely lose it? No, I think I found it eventually, but it popped off a number of times. Just have, having it on top of my camera, walking around and it brushes against your leg and it comes off so easily and it doesn't make a sound. It's just foam. So you can really easily lose that windscreen that comes with it. That doesn't happen with the road design. I yeah. don't know if the new one might have that issue yeah, as well. Yeah, the,
1: the new one is that kind of classic yeah. scoop on the back design it looks like. But, but if there's nothing to grab it, Yeah, no, that's true. And I've had some go on that same MKH-50 that I mentioned before. The big thing that I really like compared to – like you mentioned, the Deity is a less bassy microphone. And it really comes down to who it's recording. Yeah. Um, So I haven't loved the sound of the Deity D3, V3. Mm -hmm. The (laughs) 3. you try Yeah. (laughs) With Chris's voice, which is the majority of what I record. Yeah. Um, so yeah, finding just some other options with that same kind of smart design, mm-hmm. um, just opening up that field a little bit. Cause I want a battery of microphones right. depending on the person, you know, I try two or three lav capsules whenever I have a new person on mm-hmm. to find the one that works best with their voice. Well,
0: and finally, I mean, especially in case DD happens to listen to this episode, I have one more design complaint. I mean, there's so many smart things that they did. Like this is a good mic and I would, it's probably the best thing in its price. If you don't want to spend the road price, then I, I think the s 3 dr 3 Pro the is the one you should buy, 8. Um, but there are other issues. The other issues that – so the way that it attaches you, – you screw it into your hot shoe and then it's attached to your camera, and then there's a second hot shoe type screw yeah. that lets it slide backwards and forwards. And this is either to let your eye get up to the viewfinder or to balance it on a gimbal, but it doesn't stay locked it just easily loosens itself. And I found all the time that it would just, again, this is because when you're vlogging, when you're just carrying a camera around, you look down and something's just kind of shifted. Like weights have been like the weight of the camera has been moving around. It bumped against something, whatever. And all of a sudden my mic is flopping back and forth and the windscreen's on the ground. And you know, um
1: a mess. Well, and it has to be solid because so many of these designs are based on old baskets that we would stick inside of a blimp where mm. nothing would bump. Now all these stuff is getting bumped all exactly. over the yeah. place. It's interacting. So it's got to be, be solid. Yeah. yeah.
0: Any other audio stuff? They're so good. I mean, there's so many things, but I don't know. I don't know what else to go through. I'm
1: liking those new deity lav capsules. I think they're like the DA 35s are a really wonderful sound on. Oh, there. I didn't hear
0: those. Uh, uh, if it did anybody hear me do the, I did the deity, uh, W lav mic commercial my my first voice acting work that was a while ago now but if you just like watch the trailer that's me talking i'm gonna check that out yeah <laughs> but i haven't tried the mic yet <laughs> um what else okay next category is movies oh i'm in okay the second half of this year like recently last few months i just i've been loving movies like there were some great movies in the theaters so i i had to pick one but i'll let you go first on this cuz you this is a field you care about
1: uh i mean mine is Definitely a Jordan pick. Um, but I loved Marriage Story. Have you seen it? Yet? No, no, I didn't see it. Oh, okay. I I adore that movie. Uh, I've been a big fan of Noah Baumbach for a long time. Have you seen like The Squid and the Whale mm-hmm. or Francis Haw? No. Great, like very Squid know, and the Whale, I, I They're mean. not mumble corey, but they're very realistic. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're getting close it's adults talking a lot. Yeah, yeah. So but uh, yeah, I just think it was a super well-acted, incredibly well directed. Every choice that they made. Um, isn't big or flashy, but it was the right choice um, mm-hmm. through and through. So I really dug that. that well, was- and
0: both of those actors were in some, of my, uh, some other movies I loved this year. Obviously, Adam Driver was Adam Drivers. Yeah, he's my favorite part about Star Wars. He is fantastic.
1: And, dude, he's he, always watchable, no matter. Yeah, yeah. No, he really can carry whatever he's in. He's in Star Wars and Silence. That's <laughs> the
0: kind of versatility. He's got. But then my pick had Scarlett Johansson in it, and that's Jojo Rabbit.
1: Okay, which yeah, I still haven't oh, seen I yet. Seen, no, so I yeah, I loved I loved this movie.
0: It's very charming, and it's one of those it's one of those movies I don't want to overhype. And I obviously am by choosing it as my favorite movie of the year. So I, I don't want to say a lot about it before you go see it. It's not going to change your life, but it's so sweet and so charming and fresh and original. And that's what I liked about all these other movies is, is that there were a bunch of them in a row that felt new. Even, you know, another one I loved was Knives Out. Yeah, um,
1: which is if like, have you noticed, kind of a trend where all of these people are using their Star Wars or Marvel money, <laughs> totally. and if, yeah, if, yeah. If it's like one row of like, I love that director. Yeah. They're doing a Marvel or a Star Wars. The next year is when you get them doing what they're great at again. Totally. Yeah, yeah.
0: and uh, I really want. Yeah, Ryan Johnson is just on my automatic watch list. Uh, yeah, and he's he's definitely going to be my he's my like long shot goal for getting as a guest on this show. I want. I want to talk to Ryan Johnson someday. It's
1: time for a look back at Brick. Exactly. Uh, next category is books. Uh, I've read. Are you doing fiction or nonfiction? Well, anything.
0: Oh. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do nonfiction.
1: But okay, it all uh, qualifies. I got a pick for each. Um, so I just started the. Do Dan Carlin book with the name that I... Dan Carlin being of, of the Hardcore, Hardcore history, history podcast, thing, yeah. I, I was vaguely aware he did books, but I the never The end is into always them. near. Yeah. I, okay. I don't think he's done a lot of books. I yeah. think this is kind of a return but to I'd, that.
0: I'd read them. I mean, I I love his... Uh, I, as long as he reads the audiobooks, I'm going to
1: listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really kind of a bunch of think pieces with, you know, history as a background for it. So... Chuck Glosterman um, wrote a bunch of, like, think piece essays about dumb pop culture and uh, would just go on like your friend at 3 o'clock in the morning when he's a little bit high. It was that same kind of idea, and this is a Dan Carlin where he just takes a concept and then just throws as much history at it as possible. It's cool. just a, co- a cool way to kind of open up yeah, a conversation, I think, after everyone. I've had a good chat with someone. Uh, I dig it. I'm about halfway through it. I will probably read that. I mean, I listened to all the
0: podcasts, so –
1: yeah, it's – I'm going to like it. And if you right? get the audio book, it's kind of interesting. I actually stopped listening to the audiobook because there's a big difference between him riffing, I think, on his show, although it's probably thousands of takes, and him reading something that he's written. So I really uh, recommend right. – yeah, grab the book. It works better that way. Well, I
0: won't. I listen to nothing but audiobooks. <laughs> and so I, I want to recommend one just as an audiobook. book. Um, and it's not that I think it's the best book that came out. Um, you know, it's Malcolm Gladwell had a book this year. Everybody has an opinion already of Malcolm Gladwell, so I'm not going to shape it for you, but I enjoy his writing a lot. Mm-hmm. And Talking to Strangers was his latest one, but they did this all this extra production for the audiobook where they recorded the interviews as oh, cool. audio, so it's not just him rereading quotes. Uh, or when there's historical quotes, as often as possible, they pull out the historical audio. It was a full production, and it's the resources he's been using on his podcast, and he... They – their production team decided to go all out and make a very well-produced audiobook about it, which I
1: think is great. It's kind of cool how we're seeing the audiobook merge with radio and podcasting at the same time. Yeah. It's it's all the same to everyone at this point. Totally. And like two authors that I –
0: read everything that they do, um, Malcolm Gladwell and uh, Sam Harris, Mm -hmm. I mean both – are huge in the podcast world now. And, uh, especially if you look at what Sam Harris has done, he is, he hasn't released a book in year, since his podcast came out. I think yeah. he basically stopped publishing books. Cause he's like the audience for his podcast is so much bigger than even being a top selling author. The, the, um, the ability to reach a, a broader audience is just I also I didn't want to choose the Malcolm Gladwell one. I, I want to choose the Beastie Boys book because I really liked it, and also they did an awesome job with their audiobook. They read it. They got special guests to come in and read it. Uh, loved the
1: Beastie Boys book. That's funny. I was I was just listening to anthology on my oh, drive-in because hey. my son discovered the Beastie Boys yesterday. Oh, cool! Yeah. So yeah, I I'm in it
0: now. It's, it's audiobook totally an audiobook one okay
1: lots of music in it lots of good stuff i'll plug that in there my fiction um i did also get the new uh, margaret atwood uh the testaments which is kind of the follow-up to the handmaid's tale mm-hmm. the, the 20 years 30 years later which is interesting it's almost like a classic old-timey fable it's very different tonally from the first book which was a first-person horror story but really interesting i think the reactions are quite mixed because people were not expecting what it is, but uh, it's beautifully written from three different perspectives. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's timely and a really quick read. I plowed through it in like a day and a half.
0: We have uh, the biggest categories coming up. Next. Let's go photo cameras. This is, so we were <laughs> talking about the order that we're going to do this in before we're putting fo- stills cameras before video. Cause I think we're going to ramble too much on, on video. And, um, you know, people buy more photo cameras, but I always have the obstacle of using only a few of them per mm-hmm. year. Jordan, what's the best photo camera of the year?
1: Despite what Chris Nichols might tell you, the best photo camera of 2019 was the Fuji GFX 100. <laughs> I got to say, I think Chris made a little more sense on this one. If anybody hasn't okay. seen,
0: uh, you guys did a, always do your great uh, this kind of discussion on
1: YouTube. So uh, the link will be in the show notes for Yeah. Him. This is the more sober, coherent version. Of that was, so. <laughs> Mildly. A little different.
0: Sell me on the camera first. I'm sure it's
1: great. Okay. So I have not, for the last four years, been a huge fan of these medium format cameras that are all coming out because it's older sensors and there's so many compromises to get slightly, barely, barely an image quality bump at all uh, compared to some of the other ones that we have out there. In fact, the uh, Nikon Z7, which is a full frame camera, uh, outperforms a lot of those medium format cameras. Um, But then this one came out and it is all about usability. It has 100 megapixels. That's the headline feature, but it now has IBIS. It has awesome phase-detect autofocus with eye tracking, kind of like the Sonys do. Uh, It has 4K video that's actually very, very competent without a whole truckload of rolling shutter in it. Uh, It addresses all the things that would make me say, like, I can't bring a medium format camera to a job. What if somebody moves or um, what if it's really dark and I have to use slow shutter speeds? Uh, it's a all-in-one camera I would be totally comfortable bringing to any kind of job uh, as a one-off, and I think it really changes that entire field into, yes, there is actually a reason to spend more money on that medium format camera as opposed to what it was before, which was largely uh, – luxury or just something that would impress an art director. How many lenses are available for that camera? I think it's at about 11 right now. That's pretty good. Uh, they fleshed it out actually very quickly. And the big thing is all of them are insanely good. Um, anywhere from little tiny pancakes to now they're starting to get some telephotos out there. Um, the focus speed is definitely a difference from lens to lens. It's something to be aware of, Mm -hmm. but the accuracy of it is fantastic. And yeah, the video I was hugely impressed with everybody really dug it. So the reason that I'd say this isn't a great choice is because
0: it just will have such a limited impact on the industry in the end. When we get to video cameras, we will talk about some very expensive video cameras, but they end up making a bigger mark. I think, right? you know, the amount, the amount of, alexas that are sold is probably
1: a lot more than these fujis will be you know or maybe
0: yeah i think
1: i mean even you, though they're a hundred thousand dollars yeah they're <laughs> backlogged forever oh, but of course you can't get an lf that easy these days either <laughs> right, so yeah. um uh, i mean it sounds great but, but i do think a lot of people have lost perspective we paid ten thousand dollars for one d's or nikon d3s and d4s um yeah leading up no, to this. I, I don't think it's an
0: un unre- yeah. for what you're getting if you need those features it makes sense yeah the other choice you guys had was the Chris's Sony. choice. <laughs> you guys, because uh, you're a team, right. had the Sony A7R 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we were looking at this, you and I looking at this list a minute ago, we said, you know, I, th- I think the A7 III still needs to kind of be sitting next to it because yep. it's it depends on your needs. They're sister cameras, right? Yeah, and I don't think the R is way better. Ba- I would rather have the three. Mm hmm. Th- I- yeah, Straight I'm the way. exact same way. For the I don't same want, price, I would rather have the
1: 3. Yeah, the video quality is better on the 3. I don't want 61 megapixels for the majority of jobs. Yeah. Um, this made our list because it did really address, I mean, so many of those Sony nitpicks. The grip is much better. The dials all feel exponentially better. The viewfinder is improved and actually closer to actually – letting you see what the viewfinder is capable of while you're shooting. Uh, and it's just a very, for the same reason I love the Fuji, this is a camera I could bring to any type of job. And when I get home, I might curse the fact that I shot 61 megapixel images, but it's going to get the shot but The last in episode, crazy The
0: last episode of this, I, I spent quite a bit of time talking about why I'm not so into Sony mm-hmm. at the moment. Not that they're bad, and I still think it's pretty easy to recommend Sony to a lot of people it makes sense for so many people. They are pushing the boundaries in all sorts of exciting ways. It just didn't make the most sense as my day-to-day video camera right now. So that's why I've been, I've been using the Canon R and well, so I'm actually, I'm going to throw that into the mix. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've only done a few shoots with it, but I feel like the 5D has held up very, very well. I think it's been a great still camera for years. It is not, at all new anymore I don't even know how many years old it is but 3, 4 3, yeah on the 4 I think and um, but it still does great I love the sensor I love the usability I st- I always prefer to shoot with it for stills over any of the Sonys and the R the R is very flawed mm-hmm. but the few shoots that I've done with it it performs so well and I think you can have in certain situations especially the kind that I shoot in most often which is um Subjects not moving a lot, like you know kind of an average amount of human movement and you are tracking an eye, all of a sudden, it is so powerful mm-hmm. because shooting it f one point two you can reliably get sharp focus yeah and that did not happen with the 5d no
1: you would just machine gun shots and hope or like rock back and forth hoping. <laughs> knowing you're getting yeah. most of the money. yeah of most of if you trust the autofocus you didn't micro adjust it exactly right the last time you did it uh, it makes a huge difference and when we reviewed our uh, like the 90d for example which is a dslr with a pretty respectable viewfinder we said like honestly to get the most out of this camera just flick it into live view where it has the same focus system as that EOS R and just shoot it off the back screen, waving it around like it's a giant smartphone, which is not ideal. I've, but with the R, you yeah. got it up to your eye. The ergonomics make right. sense in that. And the new lenses are outstanding. You know, a year ago, I was like, eh, not really sure about the R. The autofocus was not there yet. They released it too early. right? And the lens lineup wasn't that impressive. Still but now, not.
0: I still want to see that lens lineup get a little bit better. The fact that I know it's awesome that they did a 28-70 2.0 because mm-hmm. they wanted to amaze everybody. But where is the twenty-four to the It 70, made more 28? sense
1: than the knocked, I'll give it that. <laughs> that's the benchmark for um, absurd launch lenses. Yeah, I mean it's it's really cool, but it's not what I, I still need some lenses that aren't there. Yeah. But something like their new seventy to two hundred offers a very real advantage yes, over their deal. Yes. Like just having a smaller oh. one.
0: Their and new sixteen
1: thirty-five is so sharp. I know, I know. Well fifteen to 15 to thirty five, yeah. Stabilized everything, everything. About stabilized. The, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: So I take it back. <laughs> they those those lenses on either side of the zoom range are the ultimate. Unfortunately, they're very very expensive. Um, okay. It's doing all right. And then actually you lent me the 24 to 105, which was also really it's sharp, good, very good lens. I yeah. thought it
1: performed much
0: better than the previous than the EF 24 to 105. It's quite a bit better. Yeah. And
1: all of those lenses you really see that mirrorless advantage where like 24 to 35 they're just better because they're closer to the sensor. The light's hitting it less Why does that make it better? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so when you have a mirrorless camera, the light with a wide angle, it's much more difficult to design for DSLR because it has to stay wide, but it has to get past the mirror box and hit that flat. Okay. If you can push the back of that lens right up against the sensor, it's much easier to design a sharp lens without adding a bunch of um, spherical elements. And spherical elements screw up your bokeh. They Mm. give you onion rings and stuff like that. So it's simpler but sharper. Uh, and that's a big part of why Leica lenses from that ultra wide to normal range have always been excellent, even though they're super tiny. And that's now we have that advantage with the big manufacturers as well. Cool. Well, okay. All this said, I think my real choice
0: has to be the iPhone 11 pro. (laughs) (laughs) It really does I mean, like it's just the, it's the camera that blew me away the most for stills, like I've had more fun than ever shooting with my iPhone. I've been able to trust it more than ever. You know, last year and w- when we did that video talking about uh, you buying the 10R, yep. I was already really into what iPhone had done with it. I mean, I think the dynamic range improvements, the way they did Smart HDR, was already really cool, and you take mm-hmm. photos that felt amazing. The big, the biggest things is now you can trust it a little more because it's doing. I don't remember what they marketing phrase they use for this is but it is mapping elements of the scene better like what is a face and where are the eyes and where's the hair and what's the sky and processing those all a little bit differently so that you're getting less of those weird lifted shadows mm-hmm. when they're not supposed to be or banding in the sky or over sharpening in gradients and all this intelligent stuff comes together to see less errors so at 10r and 10s they would be incredible in 70% of situations and then you know 20 uh they'd be mediocre and then 10% they'd be like weird and bad. Those ratios have just gotten better. There's less and less times that things look crazy.
1: Well, and with Chris is using his pixel four, I always see a lot of those images as like, Oh, this is a great base for me to start building. I still process those images quite a bit Mm -hmm. where so often when we had the iPhone, um, 11 pro, when we were testing that, it's just like, click, okay. Yeah. I don't really need to play with that much at all. Mm -hmm. It made a bunch of smart decisions. They threw enough machine learning at, 100,000 Instagram pictures, and it all worked, and yeah. it made the right choices. Yeah,
0: no, I've I've been incredibly happy with it, but what other honorable mentions do we get? This is where you got to tell me what else came out this year, because I don't pay enough attention.
1: Uh, the ones I had in the running, I love the Fuji X-T30. The X-T3, I think, is the best crop camera on the market, and it's a smaller, cheaper version of it. And I can't keep track of the Fuji numbers,
0: because there's okay. quite a few of them out right now, but... I really like the look of it. I mean, I keep I keep trying to convince anybody that asks me for camera recommendations. I'm like, you should really take a look at Fuji, but I don't know enough about it to push them towards it. And uh, recent guest of the show, uh Simbarash.
1: Yeah, which heard that.
0: Yeah. Completely over. And I totally buy it. I mean, he knows what good colors are, and
1: his description of, of switching to the, the Fuji color system sounded very appealing. Yeah, I think it's right on point. Like when I am going out and I know I don't want to spend time processing, like, you know, I have a kid and that happens a lot. I grab the X-T3 because straight out of camera, the images are nice, but they have enough film simulations too. It's not like with an iPhone where I'm locked into the camera's choice, I can still choose a tone or a palette that I think makes sense for that kind of shoot. Which is the one with that weird film screen on the back of it? That is the X-Pro3. That is not in my list of best cameras of the so, year. I, I, I kind of okay. love
0: it. I, no, I do too. <laughs> I, I totally love it. If you guys haven't seen this, it if you ever shot film, what you'd usually do is rip off the back of the box from the film pack that you're currently using And there'd be a little slot in the back of the camera meant for this, where you would stick that little piece of cardboard and to remember, what are you shooting right now? What film is loaded in here? Now, we have a little electronic screen.
1: There's no backlight to it. So you can only really see it when you're out in bright light, which is the opposite of how the rest is. But I also like that it looks... So it looks more like print. Yeah, it looks and very it, organic almost, even though it's quite low resolution. And and it's great, and I love it. And, and yeah, it's, it's displaying the film stock. Is, yeah. yeah. Uh, and as, that's all it does, right? Yeah. Uh, well, and your white balance as well, because remember, you would have tungsten right. and daylight <sighs> versions, so it shows that in the exact same spot. Oh, I love it. So I was saying, I want the X-T3. Just give me a fully flipping screen that goes all the way around, but keep that little tab in the back. Oh, yeah, is that crazy screen. That yeah. doesn't make
0: any sense it, to me.
1: It was so irritating, because I'm like, Thank God I'm taller than Chris because I can shoot waist level down at him the whole time. But if I tried to shoot eye level, my tripod base plate, it's a video plate. Mm, I couldn't tilt it down parallel. Right. It would only work that's to my gut. That's actually something that's been frustrating <laughs> me. Um, I, d- I didn't think about this
0: until I started shooting it. But the full flip out screen of the R mm-hmm. has a lot of advantages, especially if you're vlogging, if you need to see yourself. Yeah. Um, th- there's a lot of extra angles you can see the screen from. But there is an advantage to the way that Sony does it or yeah. or others. Or Fuji, yeah. Where it just flips down. So it yeah. doesn't you can't come out. You can't see yourself from the other side of the camera. But it is very helpful to have it be on the exact same axis as the lens. Like it basically lines up with the lens. So if you flip the screen out so that when you hold it at waist level and look down, you can see an image. It's very, it's like shooting a old yeah, an format. old medium format. There's yeah. this direct connection between as you move the camera and what you're looking at all feel tied together. Mm-hmm. When you flip the screen out to the side and point it up in that same orientation. Yeah, you lose some down, of that. You lose a lot of that connection. I find it much harder to hold the camera level, to like feel what straight lines really look like. And on the R, you can't display the electronic level at the same time as you're using face tracking. Which, that's like a big loss for me from the 5D, because I, I use that all the time on the 5D. There's just little yeah. level in the corner, and I'm looking at it constantly. All the time, I'm looking at that. Yeah.
1: And now... It's Yeah. yeah. I, uh, it's just a processor limitation. They say that over and over. Oh, These cameras were underpowered when yeah. they built them. Uh, now, have you seen a Panasonic S1H, no, Tyler? but
0: I've heard they're cool.
1: Okay. So that has a switch on the bottom. You tilt the screen out. Okay. And then if you need more, it also flips out to the side. Oh, that so sounds great. So it's the best of both. It's the best flip screen I've ever is used. This,
0: so is this the one that is the first DSLR that's approved? as a netflix camera Am well I first right? mirrorless camera yeah right. that's
1: this is the first one yeah Yeah, that's kind of crazy yeah it's why amazing. what was the thing about it like what is it shoots 10 bit it shoots 10 bit with all eye compression um okay. so no motion compression in it with netflix is very uppity about and it was the first one where their log profile actually clears 13 stops of dynamic range measurable cool. um so they rated it at 14 i'd say it's just hanging right on the edge of 13 mm. but it's the best uh in a mirrorless that's camera awesome. right now and those are the L-mount. Those are L-mount class.
0: Well, I think we can talk a little bit about lenses now, too. Okay. Uh, I didn't have this as a category. It, it's tough with lenses because there's so many brands, and there's so many lenses. I guess it's hard like that with the cameras, too. But I just want to – let's let's at least talk about lenses. For, first of all, I think that L-mount thing, which – that happened last year, right? That's yep. 2019. Uh, no, that was 2018. Or, okay. No, wait. yeah, But nope. it's coming true in 2019. <laughs> yes, <at least>. exactly. <laughs> Things hit the shelves in 2019. But – I think it was such a good decision. Super smart. I love this. And I don't shoot any of these brands. I'd never owned any L-Mount class. But you you tell me why it's super smart. You've been exposed to it more.
1: Well, I think they've given themselves very natural tears. You know, Sigma does the giant but inexpensive lenses in that lineup. Actually, also explain it. Okay, okay, so. Which um, brands did what and what is an L mount? Leica, Sigma, and Panasonic are all producing bodies now, and they're all producing lenses for this new mount. Um. So it's one that started with Leica, originated it, I'm sure, with a little input from Panasonic. But uh, they all work natively. And the big thing, a lot of people talk about how micro four-thirds was the same idea. You could just grab an Olympus or a Panasonic lens. But they worked a lot of artificial limitations into that. Your Panasonic stabilizers wouldn't work with your Olympus. Your – Olympus lenses would focus worse with your Panasonic cameras. This everything works a hundred percent. But wait, mount uh, to mount.
0: like when was the first one of these lenses? Is this different from what Leica had previously? Like, what is a old school Leica like mount? Uh, There's not an L mount.
1: No, so there's their M mount, which is their range finder. Oh, yes, yes, They brought out with the SL, they introduced this format. So yeah, for the last okay. three years, they've right. produced some very good, very expensive lenses yeah, in yeah. this mount already. And then Panasonic and Sigma jumped on it. Yeah. And what's really cool is we're starting to see Sigma's historically just chucked a giant throat on the back of all their DSLR lenses. They look silly and they're ridiculous, oh, but it. they're very sharp. Um, but the balance is totally off. Now they're starting to make mirrorless specific lenses um, that balance beautifully on these. A little more compact. They just made a lovely little forty-five mil pancake lens. Oh, that's really great for for just L. Uh, just or for, for uh, just for L right now, I think it's going to come to Sony E as well, but it's not going to be a DSLR lens. A RF these, lens, <laughs> not until. So this is uh, okay. in my lens thing. Worst decision is Canon and Nikon refusing to open up their lens mounts. Oh, it's not open. It's not an open standard I didn't know that. yet. So that's why yet. you're not seeing. There's a lot of manual lenses for them, but there are no hmm. electronic ones from third-party companies actually, until they can reverse engineer it like Sigma and Tamron used to have oh, to do.
0: That's awful.
1: It's a I huge bummer. I did not know that.
0: Yeah. That's really really annoying. So, so we're
1: striking the R stuff from best. Okay. The-
0: yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, okay, that's something for me to know for my Let's talk about me for a second. Should I then be less concerned about buying EF Class and adapting it because the RF stuff is further down the road than I even imagined it was. I was thinking we might start to see it this year, but I didn't realize there was that big roadblock. So is it still like two years out? I think so. I mean, if you're looking at... Uh, For example, like the a Sigma 20-1.4, that's yeah. just a random lens. I'm like, uh, oh, that would be nice. I might, I might want that.
1: Yeah, and they would have to kind of read If they did bring it out in this mount, it would be that same big throat at the back of it. So there's no difference really compared so to my, using it. they might then I as well just on, yeah. buy the Canon mount and throw it on because Canon does have mm-hmm. the best adapter right now. Right. Yeah, I don't love adapters, but it's the best option out there. So, yeah, uh, I I, I would just grab it in the F-mount. But But you're not getting that 45-mil pancake. Should I get the variable ND Canon adapter? I have not used it since the launch. When I used the launch one, it had a very heavy color shift to yeah. it, so I was a little put off by that. But Canon said, "Don't show any images shot with this thing because it's be not finished." I have not used a production one. Canon, if you'd like to send me a production version, the
0: weird thing
1: is, I only saw this in a potato jet video. I
0: haven't seen this in real life. If you want to start, if you wanna, if you go indoors mm-hmm. and everything's darker, you need to pull the variable ND out Take for it a little down. while. There is a hole in your adapter where the sensor just has – like there's just dust flowing.
1: Yep. Well, I mean that's <laughs> that why we like always care. Idea. You have gaff tape in your pocket every – Yeah, that's every, what I think yeah, you would have to that's, do. That's what jacket oh, pockets God. are for is gaff tape. Uh, yeah, it's a silly design. I would have loved to see a little lock or something mm-hmm. like that or a replacement disc. But I'm sure there will be another version of it. What
0: else can we say about lenses this year? How are the other third-party like 24 to 70s right now? Everybody's got one –
1: yeah, I haven't tried the new Sigma. Now their previous one, um, their Art 2470, which worked with DSLRs, I was very disappointed with. Um, the Tamron was yeah, actually never a better. Shot it.
0: Wait, and the Tamron was the 28 70, right?
1: Uh, they had a 2470 G2 at okay. the time. Okay. Since then, they've brought out their 2875, which is fantastic. That's what everybody loves. Yeah. Then Sigma has just brought out their 2470, uh, their latest version, designed for mirrorless. So we've got those same advantages. Short. Back on it, uh, so it should be quite good. It's getting good write ups, but I haven't got my sample yet. Okay. Uh, but I do think third party are bringing out some of the. Mo- we gave our lens of the year to the Tamron thirty five one four, which is a DSLR lens. Mm-hmm. But it uh, Roger Sakala from Lens Rentals mm-hmm. uh, he tested it, and it's considerably better than Canon's thirty five one four for like. Thirty-two hundred dollars, and this is an eleven hundred dollar lens. So just on those. But what about? So
0: you mentioned that in your video. What about compared to the Sigma? That's what I'd be comparing it to. It's
1: noticeably better than the Sigma because the Sigma was because the Sigma was the gold standard, and then Canon said we're going to make a slightly sharper lens, and it took them a lot of glass and three thousand dollars to do it, and then Tamron just showed them how it's done. So Hmm. it's. Uh, Yeah, it is a beautiful lens. Um, And then, yeah, you have something like the 17 to 28, the new uh, Tamron ultrawide for Sony that is a stunning lens. Uh, The third parties are really kind of carrying it this year. Uh, The other thing I wanted to touch on that we didn't have in our video is it's really cool that we're seeing F1.2 glass coming out. Um, that is usable and not terrible, which is what my previous opinion of most 1.2 glass like, was. Well, it was two, right? It was the Canon 51.2 and mm-hmm. 8512. Those were the ones and that were still in production. Had, and neither of them are good.
0: Yeah, had real problems. I mean, I talk about this all the time. How did they become so popular? Everybody, like they were the, the Halo Grounders, so everyone. Swizzly. Yeah, exactly. And you'd look at it small on Facebook and it's like, wow, yeah, it's so blurry, but blow them up at all just look at them on a desktop and go Wow, nothing is sharp
1: yeah uh yeah i was never a huge fan of those but the canon 512 that i loaned you really kind of changed my mind on that oh, shooting man. portraits with yeah, eye detect with a sharp one two lens is a lot of fun and i still haven't had a chance to really test the new sigma 35 one, two but the images i've seen from it having a semi-wide lens with that crazy shallow depth of field it looks like 4x5 uh, images. It's that same kind of separation with an environmental portrait that I just love. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I want a 28 1.2. Someone's got to yeah, make yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Or,
0: I mean, I'd take a one four
1: <laughs> to be honest.
0: <laughs> but yeah, actually, that's way up on my wish list for RF lenses from Canada. Where are all these Canon lenses that I want to see this year? I want to see at least like two or three smaller
1: RF options in that same 35 f two. Like I'd love to see yeah. a whole series of those yeah. um, that are all macro. That's another thing <laughs> I really love. <laughs> right, sure, is the, well, that 35? Yeah, uh, is the, a one to one two macro. Yeah, Tamron nice. just brought out a whole line of small light one to two macro primes. So I'd love to see every company doing mm. that. You know, a 20 mil macro is a fun lens to screw around with. Let's get to our biggest little
0: rambliest topic because we've already gone pretty long and haven't started talking <laughs> about inevitable. video cameras. What's your video camera of the year? Mine, this is actually very hard to choose because yeah, there's so many categories. Whereas I think for photos, it's a little easier to say like, what's a good like mid-range yeah. sort of pro-ish,
1: but kind you know, of something that has an influence at yeah, one end a, or the other.
0: You know, a seven three and a seven r four. Those like hit both spectrums. Yeah, we didn't pick anything though. Did did, did we pick one?
1: Oh, oh, right, iPhone 11. Okay. There you go. <laughs> but for video? Um, for me personally, it would be my hybrid award, the uh, S1H, which is a – Photo and video camera from Panasonic. Um, you know, it shoots 6K is what everybody talks about. That wasn't the exciting thing for me. For me, it was that it's a full frame camera that does 10 bit with a ton of dynamic range, and it's vlog, not vlog L. Their consumer version. This is the stuff that you get in a very cam. Uh, it's the yeah, first Netflix approved sounds so cam cool. for that. Uh, And the file size, like I was dreading bringing this in, but I can cut the footage on my laptop on the go. Even the 6K is not that bad on it until I start piling up a bunch of layers. Uh, The viewfinder is spectacular. It's got a great stabilizer in it. It has the best, as I said, the best tilt screen ever made on a camera. It's a big sucker. How much is it? uh, Those are four grand American. So we're up there for sure. We're getting into cinema camera land. But it's such a flexible thing. And I've just found with so many cinema cameras in that range there's a lot of ergonomic compromises. The biggest one is people on the street saying, Hey, what are you shooting? Right. Um, which I don't get with the S one. For H, sure. You know. What's the downside? Uh, the autofocus sucks. Oh, okay. Still, you know. Yeah, it's great for stills. That's a big misconception. Uh, It looks terrible through the viewfinder while you're shooting. It's fluttering in and out, but then you review the images and almost all of them are sharp. When you're shooting video, fluttering in and out of focus is bad. So if you need autofocus, it's not the camera for you. Um, That's where Canon, Sony, Fuji all have a big leg up right now. Uh, But I dig it. Um, the other major video cameras were really tough for me this year because back when I worked at the camera store, I played with all of the, you know, I would go out and shoot with every major cinema camera that came out. I have not tried the C500 Mark II, the FX9, the Alexa LF, anything red this year. Uh, I haven't gotten my hands on any of it. So I don't know, talk about video cameras. Well, style. yeah, way to blast through all, the, well, those,
0: <laughs> those are all the cameras I wanted to mention. Um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to mention some of the high end ones cause it's been such a crazy good year for full frame stuff the canon i mean the canon five hundred that's the one that I would buy if I hadn't done the c two hundred last year um, you know it makes no sense for me to to do to do this jump right now and I absolutely don't need to but full frame raw and also having ten bit and just like checking the list like it just goes through everything but then also on Sony's side, the f x nine looks really beautiful yeah. as well and it's a little less expensive but can absolutely go toe-to-toe with the Canon. The, the yeah, lack I'm, of autofocus options, because it, it's not the same. Like, no. Yeah. That's it, the biggest thing to me.
1: It's it's a really poorly thought-out interface on the autofocus there. And I just don't love that FS7 body that's mm-hmm. been around forever. Right. I would much rather have a C500 style c C200, something like that, just makes a lot more sense for the majority of shooters. I wish they refined that a little bit. But electronic variable ND is the best thing ever, and I don't know why it's only on three Sony cameras right now.
0: What I'm saying is that they are both – it's nice that they both have that really high-end – or not really high-end, but really amazing camera at the same time. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that it wasn't like Canon announced theirs and Sony has nothing to respond with. We have these two to look at that yeah. are playing off each other and have.
1: Whichever mount you're invested in now. And that's what I really want to see is it's the iPhone Pixel thing. Like, I just want to know that whichever home you chose, mm. there's a better place for you to go down right. the road. Exactly. And that's exactly where we're at right now. And then
0: this is totally out of our pay grade, but the Alexa LF has had a huge impact. So I just think it's worth talking about in terms of what happened in 2019. If anybody doesn't follow this world, you know, the Alexa mini is what almost every Oscar nominated film. Yeah. over The last few years has yep. been shot on
1: and all the good looking TV shows. Yeah. Too.
0: It's the camera that, uh, I think it was the surprise camera for Alexa too. I don't think they realized that this is what well, everybody they, would
1: choose. They misnamed it even. Totally. The mini, You know, yeah. this is the one we can throw on drones. Yeah, no. This is for
0: gimbals. Yeah. yeah. But, No, everybody just kitted it out and turned it into the default, but it's the Super 35 camera. So the sensor is smaller for somebody that's used to shooting stills, but, you know, standard in the filmmaking world. And I always would hear cinematographers justifying it. Like I know Potato Jet has a video like why I shoot Super 35. And as soon as the LF came out, everybody's like, Never mind, <laughs> screw it. I only want to shoot full frame from now on. And yes, yeah, so what the Alexa LF is is um there. I mean, the Alexa LF Mini anyway. It's very similar size to the Mini, but a full frame sensor, yep. and it's freaking gorgeous. Yeah, oh, the- and I got to see one in real life. Actually, I was going through all this, but to say I haven't tried any of these cameras. This is the only one that um, uh, when I was with Jonathan Morrison, he had rented one, so I got to see him shooting on it. You know, the video was up on the monitor.
1: Have you shot with an Alexa before? Not no, I haven't operated it okay. myself. Yeah, I mean, they're just a- wait. No, I did because
0: there's a video with Nick Thomas. That's on, right on where my you channel. Used, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. briefly.
1: Yeah, and they're like you jumped on it first time. No training. You probably figured it out in yeah. three minutes. Yeah. I'm guessing. Uh, that's something I've always loved with that. My major concern is there's been this huge push for full frame cinema cameras this year. There's not that much full-frame glass Mm -hmm, out there mm -hmm. right now. And a lot of it is really slow. So everyone's like, I want that full-frame, shallow depth of field. Look, what's the fastest lens you can get? Oh, it's a (laughs) T3.2. You know, great. Um, I mean, unless they put... Uh, EF glass on there. Well, and then we're stepping back. To, we might as well be running around with a 5D mark. No, no, I don't know. About that. I wouldn't go that far. But uh, I do really hope that next I think in uh, April at NAB we're going to see everybody flesh out a line of full frame and hopefully affordable um, full frame glass because mm-hmm. uh, that is the big gap in the cinema market right now. And I don't like using photo lenses on movie cameras. Like I do when I'm paying, you know, for the care of myself. But if I'm on set and shooting something, I want movie length i want right. cinema glass yeah. and there's not many options right now i wish i could say something
0: about the sigma fp but i don't think it's gonna make the impact that uh i had hoped and instead i, th- I think we need to talk about the black magic cinema pocket camera 4k it i haven't uh, shot with well it.
1: 6k this year yeah, was the, and, yeah and six
0: sorry yeah i guess for, this whole framing of year of 2019 this is like what where got what, where was 2019? Right? right, like what happened in 2019? Whether or not it was released, because I'm choosing the R. That's like a, it's yeah. an old camera by right now. <laughs> um, but the I mean, I just feel like it's had such a big impact. Yeah. You know, so many people are now able to shoot no compromise image quality mm-hmm. uh, with a very affordable camera.
1: Yeah, and we always knew this when people would talk about Reds. Um, you know, and then well, it's 8K, it's 6K, and no one cares. But what all those owner and operators knew is it's really compressed raw is what's compelling about those cameras, having small file sizes and tons of flexibility. And the Blackmagic was the first consumer camera where people could actually get a taste for that, you know, very manageable files that were extremely flexible, Uh, maybe not quite as much as Red Raw. um, And I still have to do a ProRes Raw comparison, but they were Beautiful files straight out of camera, so you didn't need to do too much work with them. And it does make a huge difference. It's The image and the files are so good that it helps you forget what an ergonomic disaster, like what an abomination those cameras are to actually use in the field, I find. Yeah, the shape of them does
0: not make sense. The fact that they record hard drives, I think it's awesome. I think it's great.
1: Uh, yeah, we just strapped a uh, cheap Samsung SSD on there and you've got a ton of record time. Uh, and it was stable doing that too. Uh, so I did really enjoy that. But the batteries are flaking out all the time. The chassis on it. Like you can feel some movement. You know, we've been told it's reinforced carbon or whatever. But it does not inspire confidence when you uh, – like you can see in our Pocket 4K, we sent Chris Dowsett up a tree with uh, Pocket 4K and he was not comfortable hanging a big lens off the end of that. Um, you know, it feels very cheap, very consumer body. Um, but it's worth it for that image. You know, if I were just shooting locked off in a studio, but I need a high contrast sometimes, that's the camera that I would probably grab for the price point. The 6k is a little trickier for me cause it's an EF mount. Um, and I struggle with that. Like I, I want my movie cameras to adapt lenses. Uh, you know, I've got a ton of stuff like nikon ai lenses i use all the time i need to have that flexibility i wish they had just you know i don't know if it would add a couple hundred bucks to the price licensed a canon rf mount or a micro four-thirds mount or sony e-mount anything different uh that would cover that super 35 chip i think would have made more sense
0: well uh, this actually is a good segue to uh if you guys have any questions hashtag ask stallman on twitter but uh a question that came through what are the advantages of choosing raw versus 10 bit as recording formats or, or does it matter? Because now all of a sudden consumer cameras are having a lot more options in terms of what you're able to do. I want to touch on uh, our experiences shooting 10 bit uh, out of the Yossar a little bit as well. Um, But the main thing I wanted to get out there for everybody is that the huge thing, the the massive difference is color temperature. Mm -hmm. That's where, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what your color temperature was, which is easy to get wrong in the field. If you're in a studio environment, yeah, okay, you get it right all the time. Like, of course, you you just set your color temperature to whatever everything is. Like, you'll be fine. It's not a problem, and if you need to adjust it, it's pretty minimal. But when you're just walking around and... Just, you just walk
1: by a red building yeah, and suddenly everything's shot. Totally, yeah.
0: And uh, I, this is something I really struggled with the courses that we recorded. So one of them is all about travel photography and we went to the desert. And in, in Wadi Rum, the desert, there is orange, like red-orange. And everything bouncing back in your face is looks like Donald Trump makeup.
1: <laughs> Like it's it, just it, like you're waving a CTO. In yeah. Someone's so face.
0: it's and part of the problem is that it's not even adding a different color cast. It's taking skin tone and then like extra skin tone on top of that. So trying to correct for like very orange skin tone and bringing it back is really challenging. It. Yeah. It's very hard to move it around. So that was a time this year that like having the lower bit rate of Sony really frustrated me because I couldn't I couldn't bring it back I couldn't really fix it very much, uh, so first of all just having a higher bit rate helps a lot. Moving up to ten bits can help. It does help absolutely. Like, Can, like especially uh, the big place you notice it is gradients, like skies, and you know yeah. where you need to see the steps in between a color transition and skin
1: tones as well, where mm-hmm. you don't see that sudden shift to a pink blotch, uh, or especially on lips and things like that. You know, ten bit definitely helps. And, you know, I would prefer to have RAW. The issue has been kind of the accessibility of mm-hmm. it. And I think that's really, like you said, kind of the tipping point this year where we're seeing it. Like it's interesting because I pay the bills with 10-bit. You pay the bills with RAW mm-hmm. um, with your C200. And I think it's absolutely worth it for some kinds of shoots, um, you know. And a big misconception people have is – I hear this all the time is just like raw is better image quality. Mm -hmm. But if I were to shoot something with six stops of dynamic range and hit my white balance, it's going to look the same on an 8-bit, a 10-bit, and a raw shooting camera. There's no difference. It's when you're in post, how much are you going to be able to push those files?
0: Think of it in terms of stills cameras. Raw files are not all created equal just because they are called a raw file it's not the same from every camera. The amount of noise, the amount of dynamic range, the flexibility of the color science. I mean, there are many different attributes that change from camera to camera, even though they are all sharing a unprocessed, uncompressed RAW format. Yeah. So yeah, the place you'll you'll see it is like, you can bring it all the way from the coolest to the warmest with complete flexibility. And this is good to know for photography as well. I mean, if you open a RAW file in Photoshop... If you do that, you've lost all that flexibility as well. You can't recover shadows as well. I mean, you're also with stills, your dynamic range disappears once you've moved out of RAW. Um, That also happens with
1: video as well. Yeah, I was actually going to touch on that as the other biggest thing is if you're used to exposing your photos properly, you know, save the highlights, push the shadows and post, uh, and then you grab a 10-bit camera or an 8-bit camera, uh, none of that applies. The shadows are always the worst part of your image and there's no image quality penalties in the highlights. So once you've got a raw camera, you can actually use your camera's full dynamic range. And yes, your shadows will get noisier, but the colors aren't going to fall apart in them when you're shooting raw video, same as in raw stills. So weird thing that we,
0: we both did a few tests on. I don't know if we can go too in-depth because we didn't do in-depth tests, but I want to take a second to talk about it is recording 10-bit out of the EOS R mm-hmm. into the Atomos Ninja, which... Is an awesome device. Yeah. I l- would love to be able to shoot ProRes RAW if I had a Nikon. <laughs> we don't talk about Nikon enough on this show, but uh,
1: the it's Pro- really exciting. ProRes yeah. RAW is it's a great so format.
0: awesome. Yeah, and I, I really wish it was Canon that was jumping on that, <laughs> but not, Nikon's leading the way. Anyway, we, we both did tests, um, just trying out the 10 bit out of out of the Osar, which yeah. it can do in, in 4K and only externally. And only to certain recorders, I think. And yeah, we, we recorded it and I just didn't see the jump that I'd been seeing other people talk about. Right. So, you know, I, I think quite a few reviews had been posted kind of recently. I mean, Armando was the the first big one that I he's, saw. He's the
1: biggest yeah, yeah. R cheerleader for the 10 bit. For sure. And yeah. I mean, I do think the R. And he, he, he produces sold me on the R a ways, So, yeah. uh, so I take his opinion very seriously, but when we first got the R, I tested it and, um, I did what you would generally expect to really show the difference. I underexposed and I screwed up the white balance. And I corrected the 8-bit and the 10-bit file. Uh, And you can find that in our initial Canon R video. And the results were exactly the same. They both fell apart at the same point. Uh, Which made me wonder um, because we found something really interesting with a lot of the new Canon cameras. Is they're listing 10-bit HDMI output on all their spec sheets. I'm talking like... Canon Rebel SL3s and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But what that is, is we now have HLG TVs. So if you play back the photos, it will send out a 10-bit signal to comply with that HLG standard. The video, I don't think, is kicking out that 10-bit signal. Now, I think the R is, but you just have to be very careful when they're saying these 10-bit out of HDMI. It might not always mean mean what what you think. think. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the way
0: that I tested it was kind of similar. I recorded four different file, four file formats. And what, what I was really hoping for is a little more flexibility in the grade. That was what I wanted it for. If it's not going to do that for me, it's not really worth it because the R looks great already. Yep. Higher bit rate helps a lot. I mean, it's, it's really nice internally. I was like, I will use this if it means that I can move my color, get a little bit closer to RAW as it comes out of the camera. So in my test, I... I exposed correctly in mine. I wasn't testing for an exposure shift, right. which I actually kind of disagree with from mm. what you did. Okay. I, I just don't think the 10 bit would save uh, whatever's happening in the noise and the highlights, I think is going to happen in 10 or 8 bit. Yep. And I don't think you would be able to extract extra detail out of either one, mm-hmm. I think.
1: Well, I've found the colors or the shadows generally with video compression are where the most gets thrown away. That's yeah, how we but you think it's
0: compression, problems. not
1: yeah. Noise. Well, it's, c- it's color space. Because I felt like well. I
0: felt like it was no- noise is the bigger issue in the shadows. Noise is right. what you end up seeing. Yes. So if you need to move those shadows, the noise is all that appears, whether or not there is compression going on. Right. There's so much noise that it you can't. <laughs> the, it gets in the <laughs> way of the compression. Yeah. Um, anyway. So yeah, in my test, I basically I totally screwed up the white balance. I went way too warm, and then just tried to neutralize it. And I shot it in ten uh, bit four K, eight bit four K, and then the both in the All I and the what's the other one called IPB IPB. And I almost couldn't spot the yeah. difference. It zoomed into four hundred percent, barely in the actually it was in both of the four Ks. So in the internal eight bit four K. And the 10-bit, I was like, yeah, I can see that difference a little in the shadows, but barely. And the 1080 8-bit uh, most compressed, which you tell me this is just actually motion compression, so it wouldn't yeah. have an effect on this. Anyway, the super compressed one, I could not yeah. see any difference. It was
1: crazy. Um, it almost makes me want to shoot in, <laughs> in, just, with motion compression on. Always, yeah. Uh, the only time I switch over to all-eye really? is – really. When I'm doing crowd oh. shots, or there's a lot of water, yeah. or if the whole or frame is moving, logo. then yeah, exactly. Then parts of the image fall mm-hmm. apart. But uh, yeah, if you don't like, if it's even you know, dude talking and there's some trees in the background and stuff like that, your regular IPB compression will be totally fine for that. I All I is my that. gimbal mode is where I tend right. to use that. You know, big handheld or something. Sure. Yeah. So I just put them custom one, custom two on my mode dial. But I live That's on smart. compressed. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm gonna start doing that. Anyway, what was my point? Right. Okay. It
0: was just that we couldn't really see this difference. And yeah. that's, that's all I, I kind of wanted to say. It's not important enough to do a YouTube video about it because also like we didn't test it that much. It was just something on my mind
1: that yep. it's like I'm curious what's really going on here. It varies a huge amount camera to camera yeah. is what I'm kind of finding more and more. And all this, and I didn't
0: really say my favorite video camera of 2019, what do you think it's going to be? C200. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that I did buy it in uh, no it's going to be the, it's going to be the R and it's it's not actually so much that it's my favorite. I'm just amazed at the impact it ha- the way that it spread yeah. throughout the year is wild because it did not have a warm reception. Nope. People were not into this camera. I was around a lot of sad people in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was announced. And that lasted. I mean for 6 months of people just trashing this camera Mm -hmm. and from my perspective what i saw happen is a bunch of creators making beautiful content with it they were like you know this is just compelling enough for me to buy it so then people like jesse driftwood potato jet armando i can't think of who else other people that we all love started shooting with it and you look at the working like this just looks great Mm -hmm. you know I, i guess peter mckinnon was also doing it and maddie um all these R shooters and you're like, this looks great. Yeah. I don't like, we're all complaining. And meanwhile, they're out making stuff that looks awesome. Yeah. Anyway, that, so <laughs> and that gradually I think spread and people saw more and more and that and more and more people started buying it. And now there's no point in even,
1: me even releasing a video of like, why I switched to the EOS R? Cause, it's, Cause there's so many out there. Yeah. Right? Like, well, I mean, that camera is different too in that if that happened back in the day, um, you know, it would be pretty amazing because it would be totally organic and unmotivated. But this camera was a much worse camera when it launched and we first saw that. Like the autofocus was bad. Um, You know, even in video, it really struggled. Uh, Now that we're version 1.6, they've really cleaned it up. It's a lot more stable. The adapters work really well. And a lot of that fiddliness is when I'm looking at a pro camera, what scares me is I don't want a flaky camera camera. You know, I know my uh, GH5s have terrible autofocus, but in every other regard, I know exactly what they're going to do, how they're going to perform. And um, that's what scared me and a lot of people, I think, away, especially people who review cameras. You know, we don't like that. But it's a real testament to what we're seeing the entire industry move towards, which is buggy unfinished camera mm-hmm. hitting market mm-hmm. and then turning into something. Yeah. Very usable and polished. And you know, we've never faulted Canon's image quality. They know what they're doing with that. Yeah. So a bunch of the courses that we shot, a bunch of footage
0: was shot on the 5d4 mm-hmm. and whew, that looks terrible in ten eighty. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of forgot. Cause I'd, I never used it a lot as a video camera. I was always like, Oh, you know, I used to shoot on the 5d3 and it was fine. So if I shoot something on the 5D4, it'll be fine, but a little bit better, and I've got Canon Log on it now, so you know it'll be it'll, fine. Yeah.
1: It is not. It no. looks pretty bad. Well, you had the one-two punch of uh, 5D4 and a Sony camera yeah. where the 1080 is pretty rough as right, well. Yeah. You brought the two worst and 1080 I, shooting models. I have a feeling if I shot
0: 4K with it, it probably looks amazing. Yeah, it's good. I, th- yeah. I think probably very good. The yeah. the codec is so insane that I would never do that. <laughs> but now the yeah these like higher data rates on the yeah you know, it's so weird. It's the same sensor, the same color profile. Yeah, but something about the file, the, both the codec that they chose and the data rate make it look
1: just so much so what, much better. It's more efficient, and yeah, they've had some time to work out those process. Well, everyone's had time to figure out how. H.264 can look good. Mm-hmm. It just, Canon took their time and now that they're using it, it looks fantastic. I, I did notice more of a difference than
0: other, okay, this was another, I'm just like being annoyed by other people's reviews on what they convinced me of right now. So this one's about Potato Jet. He did this video that was uh, comparing 4K and, and 1080 and it's like, can you spot the difference? Very interesting video. You mm-hmm. know, it's compelling and I think it's worth watching. Everybody should watch it. I'll try to remember to I haven't in the watched show notes. it. Okay. Sorry, but um, You you know, the idea is you full screen it, watch it in Chrome because Safari doesn't play 4K. Make sure you're seeing a proper 4K image and try to recognize like, okay, which shot is 1080, which shot is 4K. And it's surprisingly hard to tell because they right. both look really good, both shot on the ESR. What I didn't really notice, and I don't think he drew proper attention to, is that the, all the 1080 stuff is being shot in crop mode.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: And that's when it looks basically the same and mm-hmm. like, great. That that is that is yeah you have one to one which is what you're seeing and with you, the yeah as well. you do have to do that in a way to to do certain kinds of comparison but then if you just go out and buy an ESR you know, sort of like I do and then you shoot 1080 in full frame which is mm-hmm. what you want to do it looks so much worse yeah I mean it's mu- sorry not worse it's way softer yeah and there's a lot more aliasing as well um, so just like Moire I was seeing and my tests happened to be with some books yeah. and the spines of the books had like a texture and that would Create an obvious Mario that wasn't there on the cropped mode. So, all this to say, it is a big difference whether you are cropping in or not, and this this goes for all cameras. I mean, same with the A seven three, A seven
1: R four, everything. Well, there's a great little tab. Like I work for a company uh, where you can jump on their website and compare 1080 crops from a <laughs> whole bunch of cameras, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's amazing the difference that you'll see. Oh, in they 1080- have video. Yeah, they have a uh, image resolution. It's- it's-
0: i got, I got to check
1: the show Thanks, notes for Richard, this episode. That is a very them. useful
0: tool. You know? yeah. okay.
1: uh, but it's great. Like You will see a huge difference, You know, not even manufacturer to manufacturer, but camera to camera in terms of 1080. I'd say there's a bigger difference there than your 4K a lot of the time on these cameras. So yeah, if that's how you're planning to shoot and deliver, it's worthwhile. What I would like to see is a test where someone shot 6K and then output it, did a proper long conversion, 4K, and 1080 out of it because your camera is compressing things to 1080 in real time and 4k in real time. Right. If you have a higher quality master and kick that out, I bet you'll be able to see the difference every single shot between 1080 and 4k.
0: Yeah. What ended up doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always been frustrated that I can still see a big difference when I look at, uh, especially MKBHD's videos. I put them up next to mine. I'm like, that's twice as sharp as my video. We're both shooting 4k,
1: yeah. Isn't he shooting 6 or 8K
0: now? Yeah, he's shooting 8K, but yeah. I'm, I'm looking at them both in 4K. Yeah. But the point is, is like the way that you capture the lenses you use, there's more to it than the There's so much more to it than the numbers. Yeah. And it's visible on screen. <laughs> so, uh, but I was very happy with the 4K uh, video quality. The last video I put out as of this recording was 4K cropped, very sharp. Looked great.
1: Are you going to get the speed booster for the R? Should I? No. I'm very curious. I haven't no. seen it yet. I,
0: yeah, I don't think I'm going to. Okay. Um, it could do some nice things, but I, I was also saying on Twitter that I think this year I'm going to shoot a lot more 1080. Yeah, because I think it can pass a lot of the time. I think, <laughs> especially on YouTube, I think people don't notice. Um, and I shoot a lot of 60. I shoot a lot of slightly slow motion, mm-hmm. so it would be hard for me to. I, I don't have a solution to doing that other than the C two hundred of getting really great four K at sixty anyway. So if thirty percent of my videos have ten eighty slow motion, why would I? Yeah,
1: yeah no, mm-hmm. it makes sense. So yeah, do more of that. I would. You should definitely try out a Panasonic or Fuji. They're doing great jobs don't with their ten eighty a camera. You can borrow my GH five. I've been having a lot of fun with the S one H. Jordan, thanks so much for coming. Where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on uh, youtube.com slash dpreviewcom, is my channel with Chris. On Twitter, I'm that Jordan Drake. And on Insta, I'm that Jordan Jordan Drake.
0: Drake. I've been following the wrong Jordan Drake all along.